Let's turn together now to Romans chapter 14 as we continue our study of the book of Romans and continue to make our way through Romans 14. We'll be looking at verses 10 to 12 this morning. And as I was reflecting on this passage and preparing to preach this passage this week, one of the things that um, I thought about was how striking it is and disturbing, I would say, that not long ago, it seemed like the most familiar Bible verse in our culture was the verse that says, judge not lest you be judged. It's found in Matthew 7, 1. Jesus said those words. And it used to be people quoted those, that verse all the time, often not appropriately, right? But there was a lot of, you know, don't judge me, right? And now, just a short time later, we seem to have swung in the opposite direction where our culture has become hyper-judgmental, where very quickly for what we might say are minor offenses or, or really often differences of opinion, people can heap scorn and judgment on one another and destroy lives and reputations and cost people their jobs for, not for scandalous things, I mean, that happens too, but I'm not talking about that, not for scandalous things, not for serious moral offenses, I'm talking about for political opinions, legislation you oppose or promote, uh, views on gender and sexuality, things like that, that people just hound people to death about. Um, hyper-judgmental, right? Now, both of those approaches are wrong, right? The, the, the approach that says, you can't say anything to me about anything sinful I'm doing in my life because judge not lest you, not be, lest you be judged, right? That's not what Jesus meant, and we'll talk about that more in a little bit. That's not what Jesus meant, and that's not healthy for people to say, even if I'm doing something clearly immoral. You can't say anything to me about it. That's not healthy, right? Because sometimes we, we um, give in to sinful things that are destructive to ourselves and to others. And for somebody to love us well, sometimes that means saying, you've got to stop this. Right, so the, the judge not lest you be judged mentality that used to be dominant, that wasn't really healthy. But neither is it healthy now that we've become hyper-judgmental and condemn people for all sorts of things, many of which are not moral offenses, many of which are just differences of opinion. So, and, and, that approach, right, is, is merciless. It's not, it's not loving. It's, it's not helpful. It, it just aims to destroy. And, and that's, that's not what God wants us to do either. So what's the right way to think about judgment? What's the right way to think about judging? Is there ever a time where we should judge someone? And if so... How do we know what things we're supposed to judge and what things we're not supposed to judge? How do we tell the difference? My hope is 
that this sermon will help us think biblically about what we're supposed to do when it comes to judgment. If, if both of the extremes are unhealthy, of never judging anyone about anything, that's not healthy. But judging people about all manner of things, right? that's not healthy either. What is it that we're supposed to do? What is the healthy biblical approach that Christians should take towards judging or not judging others? Well, let's look at Romans 14, verses 10 to 12, and see what Paul says here about judgment. All right, he says, verse 10, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, we need to be careful here, because if we you know, sat down with somebody to have a conversation about judging, if they said, you're being judgmental and you need to stop it, because the Bible says not to judge. If they opened to Romans 14 and read verse 10, and they said, see, it says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? You're judging me. You need to stop it. Is that what that verse means? Well, it depends on what they're accusing you of judging them about. One of the chief rules or principles for interpreting the Bible correctly is you always have to pay attention to the context. You have to know what's going on in the big picture. And if you don't know what's going on in the big picture and you just pluck out one verse here or one paragraph there, it's very possible, if not likely, you will misunderstand what the verse is saying and therefore you will misapply it. All right? And we've all done this on things outside of the Bible, right? You hear one side of a phone conversation, you think you know exactly what they're talking about, and then you hear the rest of the conversation and realize... You had no idea, right? Or you see a 15-second video clip on the news or on the internet about something somebody said or something somebody did, and we all think we know exactly what he meant and exactly what was going on, and then we find out a few days later, a few hours later, oh, we didn't have the whole story. We didn't actually know what was going on. We thought we knew what was going on from that snippet, but now that we have the context, we realize uh, our first impressions were actually incorrect. Here in Romans 14, when Paul says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? We have to remember what we've seen in Romans 14 already, which is that what Paul is addressing here is judgment among Christians about, about differences of opinion and different convictions. Right? Some Christians are saying, hey, we've got to treat certain days differently, whether that's the Sabbath or, or certain you know, uh, holy days, uh, maybe from the Jewish calendar or maybe from an emerging you know, Christian calendar. Certain days they would do different things on or whatever. Some of you are saying treat certain days differently. Others of you are saying treat every day the same. Right? They're all God's days. We honor God on all the days. Why don't we have to treat one differently? Some are saying, we can eat everything. We can eat meat. We can eat whatever because, 
they might be saying, uh, as uh, Paul talks about in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's quoting Psalm 24. It's all God's. We can eat it all, enjoy it all, give thanks for it all. And some of you are saying, no, we can't eat meat. Right? We, we are only eating vegetables. And we, we don't know the specifics of what their convictions might have been behind that. Perhaps it had to do with Old Testament law. Perhaps it had to do with the fear of eating meat that had been offered and sacrificed to an idol. Whatever it was, they had different convictions. They had different opinions. And Paul is saying to them in this chapter, and particularly in this verse, don't judge each other about stuff like that. Right back in verse 3, he said, Let not the one who eats, that is, eats meat and everything, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So Paul is saying, these are matters about which you need to agree to disagree. Do not judge each other. Do not despise one another. Do not think you don't really trust God, or you don't really love God, or you're not really trying to follow Jesus, and that's why you're acting this way. Don't do that. Each of you, he says later, be fully convinced in your own mind. Have strong opinions. Have strong convictions. Be sure that what you're doing honors the Lord. But don't worry about your brother having a different strong conviction than you on that matter. So when Paul says in verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? He's talking about a particular kind of judgment or judgment about a particular kind of thing. He's not saying you have no business judging your brother about anything. He's saying there's no reason why you should be judging your brother or your sister about these differences of opinion, these differences of conviction. There are things, though, that Paul says we ought to judge each other about. Serious moral issues are not exempt from judgment. Right? Let me give you a few examples. There's one just a couple chapters later in Romans 16, in verses 17 and 18. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So just a couple chapters later, after Paul said, don't judge each other about your differing convictions, he says, okay, now there's another group of people who are deceivers. They are not servants of Christ. They are divisive people, and they create obstacles that are contrary to the gospel. They're contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. When I'm talking about your, your weaker brothers who have different convictions than you, Paul says, welcome them. When Paul talks about these deceptive, divisive people in the church, he says, avoid them. Have nothing to do with them. These people are dangerous. Don't lock arms with them. Separate yourself from them. Is that judging? To say, I think you are a divisive, deceptive person, 
and I cannot have fellowship with you. Is that judging? Yeah, it is judging. But it's the right kind of judging. All right, let me give you another example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, there's a notorious incident going on in the church at Corinth. Um, the church at Corinth had a problem with sexual immorality. Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But in chapter 5, he addresses an instance of sexual immorality happening in that church, which he says, and this is a quote, is not tolerated even among pagans. So something scandalous going on in the church. And here's what Paul says. He says, you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So you guys are arrogant. You've got this scandalous thing going on in your church. And instead of grieving like you ought to be, you're proud. Don't know if they were proud of their, you know, quote-unquote tolerance of this thing, or what the arrogance was rooted in. But they were arrogant rather than mourning. And Paul's saying, you need to get this guy out of your church. Is that judging? Yeah, it is. Later in the same chapter, Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter. So he's talking about a previous letter that he sent to them. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. And then notice this. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So Paul says, we got no business judging the people outside the church. They're not under our authority. right? They're not, that's, that's not our sphere. We let God handle all that. But if there is something going on in the church of scandalous immorality, right? Or he mentions uh, if you've got somebody who's a drunkard or a swindler or an idolater. About those kinds of things, we don't say, well, that's your conviction and I have my conviction. We disagree to disagree. No, about those things, Paul says, you don't even eat with somebody like that. And he's not talking about somebody who's ever done something, ever been an idolater, ever been involved in sexual immorality. He's talking about this is a part of who they are right now. And if this is a part of their ongoing life, Paul says, you've got to do something about it. If they're, if they're a brother, if they're a member of the church, if they're part of your family, right? you can't ignore that. You can't say, well, we'll just let God sort that out later. No, if it's going on in your church and it's an issue of black and white, serious immorality, Paul says, you got to deal with it. We are supposed to, he says, judge those inside the church. Right? He said, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? And the answer is, yes, it is. So there are things that we are not supposed to judge each other about, 
But there are things that we are supposed to judge each other about. And so the problem is not people in the church judging people. The problem is people in the church judging people about the wrong things. You get judgmental about things like whether or not somebody's you know, drinking alcohol in moderation or you get judgmental about like different opinions about what's appropriate to wear to church, how dressy you need to be or not or whatever, or you know, things like that. We, we get all, if we get bent out of shape about stuff like that and start judging people over things that are just differences of opinion, different convictions, that's wrong. That's the kind of judgment Paul says, don't do that in Romans 14. But if we have serious open sin going on in the church and we just say, well, who am I to judge? That's also a problem. That's also not biblical. Those things have to be dealt with, Paul says. Now, let's look at Matthew 7. You can turn there if you want to, if you don't have to. The verse we started talking about. How does, the, how does Matthew 7 factor into this, where Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged? We already know now, right, from 1 Corinthians 5, that the Bible does not give us a blanket, don't judge anyone about anything, command, right? Because Paul just told us in 1 Corinthians 5, there's stuff you have to judge people about. So if that's the case... And we know Paul is an apostle of Christ. He's speaking on behalf of Christ. He's not going to contradict Jesus. Then what is Jesus saying in Matthew 7 when he says, judge not lest you be judged? Well, again, we have to keep the whole context in mind, just like we did in Romans 14. If we just take that one verse, judge not lest you be judged, we're not going to know what Jesus is actually saying. We're going to think we do, but we're not going to have the whole context, and so we're not really going to understand it. But if we will just read the whole paragraph, we don't even have to read a whole chapter or anything. If we'll just read the whole paragraph, we'll have a good idea of what Jesus means. So here's what Jesus says. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So when Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, what is he saying? Is he saying, never ever judge anyone about anything? No. He's saying, first of all, never judge someone hypocritically. That's the issue. Don't judge somebody unless you want to be you know, judged the same way, right? He says, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. So watch out what you judge people about, because that judgment might come right back at you. Right? Now that's not an automatic, so don't ever judge, because here's what he says next. The problem is, this is verse 3, 
you see the speck, I'm paraphrasing here, you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye. This is the judgment that Jesus is warning about. You're going to come up to your brother and say, hey, I've noticed a problem in your life that you need to deal with. And it's a real problem, but it's a small problem. Meanwhile, you have a big problem. You've got a log sticking out of your eye while your brother's just got a speck. If that's the situation, you've got no business judging anybody. And if you do, Jesus says, watch out, because that judgment's going to come right back on you. That's what he's warning about. But he doesn't say, therefore, never ever point out to anybody they got a speck in their eye. Right? In verse 4, he says, or excuse me, verse 5, he says, First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If your brother's got a speck in his eye, that's a problem. And if he doesn't know it's there, he might need your help to notice it and get it out. But you're in no position to help him until you get that two-by-four out of your eye, right? Like somebody said before. You got the log in your eye, you can't see to help him. You got no business helping him. Right? You approach somebody and say, hey, you know, I've noticed um, a couple times at church some things you've said, you kind of had a bad attitude. Well, okay, that might be true. And if it's true, that probably does need to be addressed. But you're getting drunk every weekend. Why are you talking to me about a minor bad attitude? You're a hypocrite. That makes no, that makes no sense for you to bring that up to me. Right? But... If, on the other hand, you've dealt with whatever your issue was, right? You've got the log out of your eye. Then you can help your brother, not saying, I don't know how you got this speck in your eye. I've never had anything in my eye before, so let me help you since I'm so perfect. You know, no. Hey, man, I've had to get stuff out of my eye before. In fact, I had to get some stuff out of my eye a lot worse than what you're dealing with. But because of that, I know how good it is. To have a clear eye. Man, it's so much better. It's painful getting that thing out of your eye, but it's so much better on the other side. And I don't know if you've noticed, but you've got got this thing in your eye. And I would really like to help you get it out. Because somebody helped me get mine out, and I would like to help you get yours out. That's judging, but it's not being judgmental. Right? It's, it's saying to somebody, you have a problem that needs to be fixed. But I, I'm not being a hypocrite about it. And, and my goal is to help you. Right? If you go back and read 1 Corinthians 5, even with that case of scandalous sin in the church in Corinth, even there, Paul's hope is that if they remove this guy from the church, that it will ultimately lead to his salvation. The goal is always redemptive. No matter how grievous and serious the sin we're having to deal with, our, our goal is never to punish someone just for the sake of punishing them. Our goal is to help them see how serious their sin is so they can get right with God again. That's always the goal. And when that's your goal, and you're doing it faithfully and not hypocritically, you're not being judgmental. Right? You're being redemptive. You're trying to be helpful, right? 
So the issue, again, is not whether or not we should ever judge anyone about anything. The issue is having the wisdom to know what things need to be addressed and what things can be left alone. And when it's an issue that needs to be addressed, knowing how to address it the right way, in a way that's not hypocritical, in a way that's not judgmental, but that is aiming at the good of the person that you're confronting. So back in Romans 14, right, Paul is saying about issues that don't need to be judged, right? We don't have to decide. We don't have to agree as a church on how we're going to handle this issue. We don't have to be either a meat-eating church or a vegetable-only church. We don't have to decide. We can agree to disagree and not judge each other, right? We're going to leave each other alone about this kind of thing, right? About those things, Paul says, don't pass judgment on your brother. Don't despise your brother. Now, why? Why should we leave each other alone about these things? Why should these not be issues um, between us, right? He explains, for we will all, this is the middle of verse 10 of Romans 14, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. In other words, you don't need to judge your brother about these things because God will take care of it. God is going to judge them about these things and you about your things, right? And these are issues that we can leave up to the Lord, right? And then he, he quotes Isaiah 45, he says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. And his reason for saying this, right, is because there are times, let's all just admit it, at least internally, there are times when we want to judge people about things that they don't have to agree with us on. It's really frustrating that they don't agree with us. Right? And we want them to agree with us. Maybe because we want them to acknowledge that we're right, or because we think, you know, you'd just be better off if you did this or didn't do that or whatever. There, there are times when we want to judge people about things that are just matters of disagreement. So what do we need to remind ourselves of to help us not do that? Not give in to that temptation? Paul says, here's what you need to remember. They are going to give an account to God for that conviction, for that position. And so are you, right? All of us are, right? So they're, they're going to stand before the Lord and God is going to take care of it. If, you, if you're thinking, but they're wrong, they should allow themselves to eat meat or whatever it is, right? They're wrong. I know they're wrong. Maybe they are. And if they are, God will take care of it in the end. You don't need to take care of it right now. It's a little bit like what we saw in uh, Romans chapter 12 and chapter 13, where Paul said, um, never avenge yourselves, right? But leave it to the wrath of God. You, you don't seek revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And then in chapter 13, he says that the, the state, one of the state's job is to carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer in the here and now. So there, there are some instances in which God is going to bring his judgment to bear now 
and not wait until the final judgment, right? But, I mean, it'll be taken care of there too. But even now, there will be some uh, manner of wrath, some manner of judgment dealt out even now to the wrongdoer. In the same way, we can say, but but some things won't be dealt with, right? Until, Until the final judgment. In the same way here, we can say, there are some things about which God says to the church, you gotta deal with this now. This has gotta be judged now. This grave sexual immorality in your, in your church, this drunkenness in your church, this got to be dealt with now. But these things, I'll take care of that later, God says. You don't need to worry about that now. Right? So some things will be dealt with later, but what Paul is reminding us is there is no absence of accountability in God's universe. We never have to worry that somebody is going to ultimately get away with something wrong in the end. They're not. They're not. If you don't believe there's a God, it sure looks like that's the way things happen. Some people commit heinous crimes. Nobody ever figures out they did it. And they, they get away with it, it seems. What the Bible tells us, nobody's ever going to get away with anything. Everybody's going to have to stand before the Lord. And Paul's saying, even about these minor differences of opinion that I'm telling you not to worry about between yourselves, God is going to deal with that at the final judgment too. And he quotes Isaiah 45 to back that up, right? To support that. And um, one of the things that's interesting about that quote from Psalm, uh, from Isaiah 45 is that it's in the context, and we heard this passage of Scripture earlier, in the context of God saying over and over and over, I'm the only God. I'm the only one. There's no other God besides me. And so he says in that passage, turn to me all the ends of the earth and be saved. Right, so this is a gospel invitation. There's only one God. There's only one Savior. There's only one way to be right with God, to have your sins forgiven, to escape um, punishment for sin. There's only one way. And that's through the one God who sent his one and only son to die on the cross in the place of sinners. Right? So you've got to trust in him. And if you do, the Bible says, there's no condemnation for you. No judgment in the negative punitive sense for those who trust in Christ. You will not have to suffer for your sins or pay for your sins. There's no condemnation. But sometimes we misunderstand that to mean we won't have to give an account for anything either. And that's not true. That's not what the Bible is saying. Because in verse 12, Paul says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. All of us will give an account for our lives. All of us will give an account for the way that we live. Right? If you're in Christ, if you trust in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. You won't be condemned. But you will have to give an account for what you did and didn't do. Becoming a Christian does not give you a license to live however you want to live and do whatever you want to do. That's not how it works. That's not what the Bible teaches. Right? You still have to give an account. And we know that this applies to Christians, not only because Paul says it here to Christians, where he says, each of us, talking about himself and the Christians in Rome, each of us will give an account of himself to God. But Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10, where he says, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Whether we're at home or um, 
in the body or in away from the Lord, right? Whether we're at home or away, at home with the Lord or away from the Lord in the body, whichever one it is, right? All of us are aiming to please the Lord, Jesus. Why? For, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. All of us, Paul says, Christians included, all of us are going to stand before the Lord. All of us are going to give an account for what we've done, whether it was good or bad. And he says that motivates us now to aim at pleasing him. To do what honors Him. This is another reason why Paul says, be fully convinced in your own mind about your convictions. Because when you stand before the Lord, God's not going to say, I don't care about that. No, that's going to be part of what you give an account for. So you want to be confident that your conviction is based on Scripture. And is right. And that you can hold it with a clear conscience. And practice it with a clear conscience. You might still be wrong, but you want to be as sure as you can be that you're right. Right? But because you might be wrong, and it's not an issue you're supposed to judge one another over, right? You've got to leave your brother alone about it. And, and let God settle all that in the end. So, judging is a little more complicated in the Bible than we might have thought. It's not a blanket, thou shalt not judge. You won't find a verse like that in the Bible. There are things we are not supposed to judge each other about, and there are things that do require judgment in the here and now. But Paul's point in Romans 14 is, on the issues that are not clear, biblical, moral, there's a firm, fine line or clear line on what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do on issues of disagreement of opinion, of conviction don't judge one another don't despise one another remind yourself that God will sort all that out in the end and leave each other alone about that and welcome one another love one another love each other enough To not let those differences come between you. Love each other enough to not insist on your own way in order to have fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ. Who has a different opinion. A different conviction. It's not worth it. It's not biblical. It's not healthy for the church when we judge each other about those kinds of things. Instead, let's continue. And you have done so well at this this year. I've told you this already. You've done so well at this this year. Let's continue to be gracious to one another. Let's continue to be patient with one another. Let's continue to love each other um, despite our differences, right? We're not all the same, and that's good, right? Um, Let's not let that come between us. It's, It's wreaking havoc in the rest of the world. Let's not let that cause problems in the church. And let's ask God to help us keep that from happening in our church.